You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled MasterCard and Acquire Collaboration, Understanding Upcoming Changes to the Dispute Lifecycle, and features experts from Chargebacks 911, Microsoft, and MasterCard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the webinar series of MasterCard and Acquire Collaboration. So I am Monica Eaton Cardone. I'm one of the founders and also chief operating officer of Chargebacks 911 and FI911. And I'm joined today by Sandra and Doug from Microsoft and MasterCard. Sandra, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So hello, everybody. My name is Sandra Feinberg. I am a principal program manager, actually director of partnerships and alliances for fraud protection at Microsoft. I've been in this industry uh, many years, 20 plus years, and uh, excited to be here and and chat about this great subject. Doug? Uh, Yes, thank you. Uh, My name is Doug Whiteside. Uh, I'm a vice president at MasterCard. I've been with MasterCard for over 20 years. My current role is that I am the global product owner for uh, an application at MasterCard called MasterCom, which is basically uh, MasterCard's end-to-end dispute processing solution uh, for our customers. Awesome. And today I'm super excited about being able to have you both on this webinar because I think there's very exciting news on the horizon that we're going to hear about with a new product by MasterCard called Collaboration. And we can take some advice of exactly how you can get prepared um, to, to be able to take advantage of all the benefits that this offers. Let's see. Okay, there we go. All right. So speaking of chargebacks and disputes we all know that this is a pain point and it's continuing to grow but the thing that a lot of merchants don't realize is that this is not just a cost of doing business or a pesky negative threshold that you have to manage really when it comes to chargebacks there's a lot of hidden costs and it can affect virtually every every department in your company um, if you aren't careful and you don't have the data to know what what's causing them so you can prevent them. In fact, merchants stand to lose three times the amount of the transaction value alone for every single chargeback. And I just, I want to turn this over to Sandra so we can hear a little bit about, you know, Microsoft's experience in chargebacks. And I know some of this has created the necessity for you guys to build some amazing fraud solutions as well. Thanks, Monica. Exactly. So, It's very interesting to look at the chargeback scenario because years ago, um, Microsoft, as well as many merchants, were just relying on like rules-based systems to try to mitigate chargebacks. So it it was always after the fact, right? A chargeback, you have to wait for it to cycle through. Somebody calls in, says, I'm not happy with my product, et cetera. But we didn't really have a way to prevent the chargebacks from happening in in the beginning. So about six years ago, Microsoft was facing its own problems, not just with chargebacks, but um, just other kinds of fraud. We did not do our fraud protection increase. We, we outsourced it. And so we had so many issues that our executives said, guys, we're Microsoft. You can really figure this thing out. So we actually developed an in-house solution, and it works so well that we commercialized it about two and a half years ago. And when we talk about the chargebacks and the impact that it had, we also look at manual review. And when when we do that, we were able to reduce those manual reviews about 82%. So it's quite spectacular because we found that, that reviewing those transactions and the chargebacks were going hand in hand. And so when when we when we looked at how do we mitigate that we mitigated it with machine learning and it's all about the data points to to mitigate the chargeback in the beginning you have to know that this entity has a high propensity from chargebacks down the road so when we take a look at at what we did we looked at ourselves as a solution provider but also from the merchant point of view 
from, from Microsoft stores, Xbox, LinkedIn, etc., cetera, to, to give us that purview that we needed to create a solution that was useful. You know, it, it's fine to stop a chargeback. You can just put your controls really tight, but that, that's not useful to anybody. So when, when you have that balance between risk and reward, then everybody wins. I, I couldn't agree more. And being, you know, in the chargeback business myself, of course, you know, we're close to the fact that it, it's all about data. And this is, you know, if you don't have the right data and you don't have all of the data, then let's face it, it your, your chargebacks are going to go up. You're going to harm your customer experience. I mean, it's, it's just pain in every single area. So speaking of chargebacks, right, let's take a look at the, the current industry statistics. And I think one way that, that I think, you know, as the industry is evolving, that we need to look at chargebacks is not, you know, the legacy chargeback process because things are evolving. There's more data. We're going to hear from MasterCard about all of the pioneering efforts that they have that are very sophisticated and really creating intelligent solutions for merchants. But it's really things are evolving to where fraud needs to, we need to connect the dots. And so this accelerated digital change you have the pre-auth or the pre-transaction fraud, but you also have a post-transaction fraud, which, you know, becomes the chargeback. And there's, you know, all of that data in between. One of the reasons why friendly fraud is growing at up to 80% with, or friendly fraud could be up to 80% of all chargeback cases for some merchants, this is because there's a lack of data and there's a lack of collaboration and sharing of this data. Um, many of you have also realized that most of your customers don't call you. They call issuers and making sure that you, you have the right data and you can analyze that and drive, you know, a better study of that to, to make changes in, in your, um, in your company and improve is absolutely key. So disputes is a multi-billion dollar industry. It definitely impacts the customer experience. And as Sandra was mentioning, you know, this isn't just about um, higher fraud rates and managing fraud, but it really is a balancing game because you you could lose substantially more trying to reduce chargebacks if you don't have the right strategy because you're going to turn away good customers. Um, so maybe uh, tell us, like, what what kind of what's the chargeback pain that Microsoft has been experiencing? If you can give us a little bit of insight on that and maybe some some statistics like what did you guys used to do and how is how things changed for you guys today? Sure. So, you know, chargebacks comes in many flavors. As you mentioned, friendly fraud. We have instances of of chargebacks from COVID. And I'll give you a quick Xbox reference. So we had a situation where people were calling in to customer service and they were saying, Oh, can you extend my Xbox subscription, please? My mom lost her job during COVID and it would really be great if I had a little bit more time to play. And they were, they were tugging on the heartstrings of the customer service people. Turns out that no, this was not an actual child that was calling in. That was a ring of adults who was oh calling. Oh my gosh. That's, that is crazy. <laughs> So as they as they called in, you know, different people will call in using different computers, different phones. And how do you figure that out? So we did because, you know, our solution is an adaptive AI solution and we can put those linkages together. So we see that this is from one device and then this is another device, but they're all coming from the same IP address. OK, wait a second. Something's going on here. It's not just a kid asking for help. So there's so many different flavors of fraud. It's not the traditional uh, fraud anymore. Um, so we need to be smarter. So Microsoft needed to be smarter. We needed to have that data linkages. We needed to see in a safe and compliant way, how could we share that data? How can we ingest external data in order to make better decisions, in order to see what the history of a particular entity or transaction is. So 
you know, we talk about the unnecessary chargeback and representment costs. We talk about the increased operating expenses. We look at those operating expenses and how do they correspond with chargebacks or with us tightening our controls? You know, it's a very delicate balance between risk and reward. It's a delicate balance between putting those controls too tight because you can you can have no chargebacks if you don't accept any transactions, right? Oh, so, of course. There, there's yeah, just turn up your fraud filter and decline everybody. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's not a good practice. It's going to lead to then approve everybody because you make no revenue. I, we always say the biggest risk for a merchant and for any organization is not making enough money to pay the bills. That's actually worse than chargebacks. So it really, that balance is so important. That's right. And, you know, people, it's funny because when you have um, merchants looking at their fraud, they say, well, I don't have a, a fraud problem because I don't have any chargebacks. Okay, but their approval rating is 50%, right? So it, it, it all corresponds together. And I always say that uh, you don't know what you don't know. So if, if your controls are so tight and you're at a 50% approval rating, but your chargebacks are zero, you think you're doing a great job. When, like you said, Monica, essentially you're losing out on that profit efficiency. You're losing out on that profitability because you're not accepting those transactions that if you had proper data about those transactions in the beginning, you would have been able to accept them. Totally. Now, I, so if you guys are not getting the message, make sure that you have all of the data possible, that you can interpret that data. Data is key. Uh, let's see. Did I skip one? No. Okay. So I know everybody has been waiting for the announcement of, okay, what is, what's so great about all of this data? Yes, you can improve the customer experience. You can reduce fraud. It is absolutely requisite in order to manage chargebacks, disputes, and even something we call pre-chargebacks or basically a dispute inquiry or claim that a cardholder may generate or an issuer may flag to help protect the cardholder before a chargeback is filed. And this is a, this is some exciting news that that is happening in our industry. In July of 2022, so this year, MasterCard will be rolling out Acquire Collaboration. Um, so, Doug, we're super happy that you decided to join us. Thank you so very much. Could you tell us a little bit about MasterCard Collaboration? Uh, certainly. Thank you, Monica. Um, from a MasterCard perspective, as Monica was saying, in July of this year, we are launching uh, an extension or an expansion of our collaboration effort. And basically what that is, is acquire collaboration. If you go back about two years ago, approximately two years ago, uh, we actually started with an issuer collaboration, which means we told issuers, you have to send us all of your chargeback data is going to go through a collaboration layer or a pre-chargeback, pre-dispute type collaboration mechanism. In order to kind of continue to, to vet that out to the larger merchant base globally, Acquire Collaboration will start in July of this year. And what that will look like is is this. So when an incoming chargeback or dispute or the intent for a chargeback dispute is sent to MasterCard, to the MasterCom application that we use for end-to-end -end dispute processing. MasterCard is going to hold that intent to have a dispute or intent to have a chargeback. We are going to hold that for a period of 72 hours. We are going to send that pre-chargeback record to the respective acquirers involved in that original transaction and original clearing. And once we send that data, we're going to allow the acquirer and merchant 72 hours to decide if they want to resolve that dispute prior to becoming a formal chargeback. Our goal of doing this is, is to use our current rails, our current processes and current system that we have today that we can easily leverage on a global basis to really expand this opportunity to all merchants to do the pre-dispute collaboration and resolve these disputes significantly um, cheaper and more economically, faster, right, from literally minutes to days compared to 
weeks or months to resolve a dispute to where ultimately the largest merchants to the smallest merchants can have the benefit and the opportunity to participate in this collaboration process in this pre-chargeback environment. So what are the benefits that MasterCard sees as part, part of collaboration? Um, certainly our, our intent is for this to be a world-class solution that will ultimately be brand agnostic. Out of the gate, it will be MasterCard-centric, of course. Uh, ultimately, as I said, we want to globally expand this to merchants of all sizes, right? We're, we're looking to get the long tail of the merchant base uh, with this opportunity. Uh, it provides an enhanced customer dispute data delivery and management process to merchants that you can do immediate action with that 72 hours with the, without the need of a chargeback, of course. Uh, it further improves the pre-chargeback resolutions by enabling merchants and acquirers to, to refund and avoid the chargebacks and all the costs and pain points that we have been discussing here today. And then, of course, it's going to ultimately reduce friction by giving customers the ability to close these cases, as I said earlier, in minutes to days compared to weeks or months. And then ultimately, it's going to give you the opportunity uh, to refund faster and then lower your dispute management cost. Awesome. I mean, it sounds like every single merchant, regardless of the size, you don't have to qualify for this, but you can sign up for it. And uh, so one, one question I bet that is on the tip of the tongue for many of our members in the audience um, is how many issuers. So I know, you know, there's pre-charge back networks. Um, you guys have Ethica. There's, you know, others in the market, Verify, for example. But, you know, it's one of the, the complaints sometimes by merchants is there's just not enough coverage, not every single issuer. And from what I understand, this is because this is being instituted at such a large scale and you're utilizing the, the Mastercom platform, um, this is like every single issuer that, that's a MasterCard issuer. Is that right? Correct. So we require um, through our mandate uh, within our dispute management program that all issuers participate in collaboration. And what that means is either the issuers are sending their data directly to uh, uh, the Ethica channel uh, that we have with, with them, uh, or they're doing it through MasterCard directly into the MasterCom dispute management application uh, that we have today. We take that information from the issuers. We marry that together to try to make sure we are not duplicating, of course, right? And then that data from all issuers globally with the intent to dispute or an intent to file a chargeback, we aggregate that, dedupe it, and then we will send that in July to every acquirer involved in those transactions and those disputes and allow this 72-hour collaboration process to exist. So and that, that is it's quite... Merchants of, it, there's no pre-qualifiers, right? Any merchant of any size can participate in this through their relationship uh, through an acquirer or some other solution provider. That is um, actually mind-blowing if you consider to connect all issuers. Um, I mean, amazing. So... And for so basically, I mean, this this is really revolutionary. Um, if you think of, you know, for years, uh, merchants have been kind of getting the short end of the stick. Let's face it, when it comes to chargebacks, I mean, there's there's little visibility. They have to supply a lot of data and feedback. Um, there's a lot of latency in the process, and it goes through a pretty tedious workflow. And now it seems there's there's not going to be a guilty before a proven innocent statistic, no negative threshold. And through MasterCard, then you can have different options to make sure that you can satisfy or remedy the disputes. Um, so let's, I think this slide does a good job of just kind of really dumbing it down a little bit, making it simple so that merchants can understand exactly what this, what this really means. So today, any merchant, they could be set up with a pre-chargeback network or with Ethica, but it's not a mandate for every single issuer, right? It's an, it's an opt-in. Well, in July, what will happen is a dispute inquiry comes to the issuing bank, then that gets sent to MasterCard, and effectively, the merchant, 
through collaboration or through Ethica, as as uh, as Doug was saying, has an opportunity to resolve that chargeback. And I think, you know, if, if it's not resolved, then it's going to turn into a chargeback, of course. And this is a mandate all issuers have to have to actually seek collaboration. It's a great name for what this is, giving data so they can collaborate and make the right decision. Something that I thought was really um, interesting as well and is that from what I understand, Doug, uh, MasterCard is also, through your technology, able to guarantee that if the merchant takes action through collaboration, you can guarantee there's not ever going to be a future chargeback. Is that right? Yeah, so if if as part of the collaboration, MasterCard provides different responses that the acquirer and merchant can provide back in the collaboration layer of the collaboration record. If that refund comes back for MasterCard to issue that on, and I'm going to use the word on behalf of the acquired merchant, which means that we're essentially at the time of that collaboration response from the acquirer and the merchant, they tell us, go ahead and do a refund or a credit MasterCard back to the issuer with that response, then that data is essentially married up with the dispute data, and we will prevent the issuer from coming back in and then reinitiating a charge back on that same transaction. So that's great. No no additional reconciliation is need, which is a current pain point that you know, that, that happens today because it's difficult to match up that data. So MasterCard has taken taken care of that at the source. Um, so great additional benefit. And another reason why, you know, as merchants, we need to make sure that you're up to date on this information and you get things prepared. So speaking of preparedness, um, keep in mind July is right around the corner and you really have two options, right, to prepare for the collaboration rollout. Um, one is to outsource and one is to in-house or to keep this in-house. I'm just going to touch on some of the points in-house just to elaborate. And then, and then we'll, we'll look at what may be a benefit to outsource, maybe the size of your business. But if you were looking at doing this alone as, as, as your own organization and, and facilitating this in-house, then keep in mind, you're going to need to confront upgrading your systems most likely because how you handle chargebacks and responses today is likely, you know, you have 15 days, maybe even 30 days with depending on what acquire you're utilizing. That time is going to be compressed to 72 hours. Then you're going to need to update existing fraud settings. So you have additional data sets and it's important to Sandra's point that you're able to take the feedback from any type of dispute and make sure that you're adjusting your fraud rules and your fraud filter accordingly. So don't let that operate as a silo. Then new audit controls. So if you take a refund action in advance to prevent a chargeback, sometimes you know that can get disconnected from whatever CRM or order management system you may be using, especially if you use subscription billing. And of course, all of these things require additional IT resources. And then last but not least, as Doug was mentioning, make sure that you understand and communicate with your acquirer so that you have any facilitation requirements met. Um, in terms, so there's, there's a lot of to-do items on what you need to be prepared for if you're going to tackle this in-house. I think there's an argument, especially at the size of the merchant, the type of business that you are, and if you're already having a lot of chargebacks. Um, maybe it's it's a much better position for you to consider outsourcing, where in this case, we would have two major points of recommendation from, from my side, being in a chargeback business. I would say make sure that if you're going to outsource, which I, again, it's based on the merchant size, um, and make sure that it, 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 it aligns and you have an integration component. But you need to choose an outsource provider that can facilitate 100% of your acquires as well as your data connections. And ideally, you want a, you want one single provider. Um, that gives you the very best benefit of that data. Um, and then the other thing is on, on the fraud filter, many people will leave this, you know, out of the equation when they're considering a decision. The reality is, as we were explaining, 
fraud has, you know, evolved. There's the pre-auth fraud environment and there's post-transaction fraud. In order to have the best solution, you really need to remove those silos and establish connectivity. And adaptive AI is super important. In fact, Sandra, what is adaptive AI? <laughs> Give us a little bit. I mean, I, I've heard you talk about it and it sounds super impressive. I know that this is something that is key in order to really generate the best results. Sure. So adaptive AI, uh, to make it really, really simple, is is a mechanism that continuously learns on your behalf, really. So it can make changes. It can it can look at the data that's flowing into there. It can look at linkages between the data. All of these things um, that are fed into an adaptive AI means that you're you're looking at the patterns. You you continuously look at patterns and how the patterns are evolving. If you're only utilizing um, let's say a rules-based solution, and you're only looking at your data um, from an in-house perspective, you're, you're limiting yourself basically because you can't see what linkages are outside of your environment. You talked about silos and how important it is to ingest external data points because when you're only looking at your data, then you can't see that this entity has created havoc at 14 other retailers, for example. You're only seeing, oh, they've never created havoc within my environment, so then they're, they're a good guy, we're gonna approve this transaction. Where if you had that adaptive AI and those insights that that provides for you, you see the linkages between that entity, between chargebacks from other merchants in that consortium approach, so, um, that adaptive AI is, it should be an extension of you, but just on steroids, really. <laughs> awesome. And, and so, um, on the, on the data side, what, so another, another question I'm, I'm just, you know, a lot of times in the industry, um, you hear, as long as you get the chargeback data to the fraud filter, then, you know, that's great. And I, and I know, most often you find fraud filters are running without that feedback. And, you know, specifically with the, the collaboration, you can't just rely on the chargebacks because ideally you've resolved most of those claims before they became a chargeback and you understood some of the sources. But how important is it, Sandra, in, in your experience or with Microsoft, with, with some of the solutions that, that you guys have um, to get that real time feedback? It's it's ultimately important and also take it to that next level in a pre-auth solution, right? So you're you're looking at that information that's coming in. Um, I think there's there's one more slide there that maybe I can um, talk about it uh, a little bit better. I'll, I'll wait. There we go. So when you, when you take a look at the 360 degree view, and this is this is what we would classify as as a best practice, really. So let's say you have the information that's coming from Chargebacks 911 that's being fed in that middle section into a fraud protection network. So you're able to see the propensity for chargebacks or um, that that the feedback loop has already been completed. So when you have those signals from CB911 that's feeding into the Dynamics Fraud Protection Network. So now the adaptive AI looks at that transaction as you see on the left, somebody's gonna go to checkout. When they check out, we see device fingerprinting information, the transaction payload, and we mix all that into the fraud protection network. Obviously, it's one-way salted hash de-identified, so it meets all security GDPR requirements. And we, we look at the linkages between the entity and that transaction with the information that we get fed by CB911, for example. And we see that this transaction has a high propensity, or this entity has a high propensity for chargebacks. So when we do that risk assessment, before we send it off to the bank, we're going to send it back to the merchant. And for, for Microsoft, we score our, these transactions between zero and 999, 999 being the most risky. So let's say we set some operating points at 600 and this risk assessment came back at 800. Well, you have a high propensity that this, this entity has had 
uh, fraudulent activity associated with it, whether it be the email address or the birth date or the shipping address or the propensity for chargebacks. And we, we send that back to the merchant in form of a risk score. So before we send it to the bank, the merchant then says, oh, this scored 800. This is above my operating points. So A, I either want to challenge it, I want to manually review it, or I want to decline it. Conversely, if this trans that same transaction came back at 300, that is well below those operating points. So then the merchant says via API, yes, let's send that to the bank. So now when we send that information to the bank, this is what we call our trust knowledge. They're going to get the risk score, the Microsoft risk score. They're going to get device fingerprinting information um, with a match key and things like that to tie into the, the transaction. But within that trust knowledge, the bank now has great insights into this has a high propensity for chargebacks, this, this device fingerprinting scored um, a certain way. So what happens is with that data, the bank then has a higher acceptance rates for these transactions and actually lowers false positives. So remember we were talking about the impact of a chargeback. It's not just about stopping a chargeback. It's the impact of increasing your bank acceptance rates, lowering those false positives. All of that good stuff gets fed together through that data and AI, that adaptive AI. So those insights, the insights that the bank now has to make these decisions for those merchants, it gives, it's, every, it's a win-win. We've actually increased our bank acceptance rates. Um, let's see, it was 907 uh, basis points. So huge. yeah, it's been, it's been huge. And a couple of the banks actually I, I can mention here, one of them is American Express Bank that utilizes this technology and Capital One. Capital One has a case study on their website and we've been able to reduce their false positives 45% and overall fraud flowing through their bank, 15%. So it, it just goes to show you that the evolution of fraud is not just about chargebacks, but that chargeback component is so huge when you have that feedback loop and, and your data providers are sharing that information in a safe and compliant way, it protects not only the the merchants but the card schemes and the banks and it it's really a win-win for everybody so uh, uh for, go ahead I'm, I'm sorry yeah. i get really passionate about this <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're both no it's our favorite subject to talk about um no that definitely um this is a if you again if you guys are considering outsourcing depending on the size and if you look at if this is not a core competency then definitely make sure that you consider, you know, you really want a, a one-stop shop solution because that is going to give you the very best leverage. And it's one of the reasons, of course, we've partnered with Microsoft, with Microsoft on this is because we there's the amazing AI, amazing consortium data. But let's, I, I want to hear from Doug a little bit. And um, Doug, are you still with us? Did he have to leave? You know what? He just messaged I, I, me. Uh, no, I, I, I'm still on. I apologize if you hear he, some background noise. Yeah, no, he, he has. I thought this was funny. And uh, I mean, this is normally like you deal with dogs barking, babies crying in our remote environment. But you just had a fire alarm go off. So hopefully you're with us for a little while longer. <laughs> um, but, yes, but, uh, I'll hang on as long as I can. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, at least if we heard a little bit of that, it would probably be entertaining at, at the very least. But, um, yes, I, I wanted to, I know there's, we have all of this, um, transaction feedback and we're talking about data and, and all of this, um, in terms of, you know, the, and it's, it's impressive what Mastercom has built and the entire platform. Um, can you give us some insight with regard to like what should merchants take away for best practices? Um, you know, from your perspective, like should they be should they be accumulating or, or capturing more data or different data that you know it's not just about AVS and CVV? Um, what, what are you seeing on the front line? 
Uh, certainly, right? Capturing the data and as much data as you can capture and then marrying that together across disputes, chargeback, fraud, sales, right? Uh, of course, is the absolute key to try to protect yourself and manage your cost, right? At least in the dispute space as, as well as you possibly can, right? Your ability to do that very quickly, your ability to do it very well is, is ultimately going to help you control those costs and, and maximize efficiency. And, and then just really your overall effectiveness. Awesome. And would you see, um, I mean, has, could, could you let us know? Can you give us any, um, any points? I know identity is a big thing. Biometrics is coming in place. Um, is there anything on the horizon that, that we can expect from MasterCard, um, in terms of, you know, enhancing or creating more yeah. types of evidence? Yeah, I think we have several things uh, on the proverbial boilerplate, right? Uh, certainly, I think identity check, uh, 3DS, secure code is going to continue to evolve. Uh, biometric is becoming more and more prevalent, whether that's different variations of it, whether that's uh, imprint on card, whether that's palm print on device, right? Those are, from a digital perspective, and kind of the rollout of that and the rules around that are just on the kind of what I would say the the edge of of becoming more of a global solution in terms of what is ultimately going to vet out. I think time is going to tell, but certainly there's more and more uptake and appetite for the biometric piece, right, through the dispute process and as part of dispute prevention. Uh, the other piece that that I would say is is friendly fraud. Right. In terms of data mm-hmm. analytics around that and what MasterCard's collecting in terms of our fraud strategies and our fraud data, fraud data management. Uh, we are looking at ways to kind of marry that data together in terms of what we see in fraud and our behavior analytics around it and where we potentially see things that may look like friendly fraud. How can we build that into the dispute management process and factor that in either from a qualification, eligibility, rules, liability across all kind of four of those components. We're just on the front end of that. We don't have any any kind of commercial solution at this point, but it's something that we're spending a lot of time and effort looking at to see how can we help manage this as it relates to this process. I'm just going to thank you so much. I'm just going to go back. Uh, maybe, maybe I will go back. Um, I wanted to go back to that slide. Um, before we dive into best practices while I have you um, on the MasterCard collaboration, just so that, you know, everybody really understands, um, again, what this means. And to Doug's point, you know, it is it's important to make sure that you have all the data. It's a can you tell us a little bit about um, the just your expansion um, into making this agnostic? And do you, can you share any timelines on that? Yeah, I think from an agnostic approach, um, the biggest piece is around that is just making sure as part of our requiring routing protocols on a non-branded transaction are uh, as strong as they need to be and as accurate as they need to be. Uh, and that by strong, I mean accurate, right? Uh, ultimately, we would never want to send the wrong data to any wrong endpoint. And so that would be part of kind of us continuing to vet out the the, uh, the brand agnostic piece of this. Uh, I would say that is likely going to come in 2023 sometime, um, probably towards the later portion of 2023 as, as we're continuing to look at that. So awesome. as, you know, as best practice, right, around collaboration on the MasterCard side, obvious, you mentioning earlier, Monica, uh, ultimately, right, best practices as a merchant, reach out to your acquirer or reach out to uh, an outsourced entity, a, a solution provider, I, you know, of course, depending on your size as a merchant and, and how quickly you could bring something like this in and build, maybe that makes sense. I, my opinion would be for the vast majority of merchants, right, that using an outsourced vendor or solution provider in this space t- to get this in your chargeback process and kind of go to market strategy um, in terms of how you manage this, right, with your customers and kind of downstream in your chargeback process. To do that quicker, I, I think using an outsourced uh, entity is would probably be your best course. Yeah, faster is always better, especially today. <laughs> we we have we have learned that. Um, okay, awesome. Uh, Sandra, best practices. 
I, what, what, what's our you know, three, three top best practices that, that you would recommend from your experience and expertise uh, from, from Microsoft? First of all, I think that being comfortable with an external vendor as an extension of your business is super important. So, so pick that vendor that, that you can be very comfortable with. Utilize the layered approach. So even if you have developed solutions in-house, use external data sources to layer their protection for yourself. And, and when you look at the dispute management process, and you look at um, the payment flows. I really think that that pre-auth transaction or pre-auth risk scoring should be the way that people do their transactions because you're getting all this different data and ingesting it. So if you can mitigate those those issues at the the point of transaction instead of waiting for a post transaction to happen and then try to mitigate that. I think that ultimately um, the, the merchants are better off. Okay, awesome, great advice. Um, so I will contribute, um, I, I don't wanna sound like a broken record. This is, I think best practices really boil down to three things, data, number one, technology, number two, and service. So you need to make sure that you understand you know how that technology is interpreting your data and you know you you actually start you realize like Sandra says you know what you don't know can and will hurt you <laughs> and you don't know what you don't know so make sure that you rely minimally on experts in the industry um like feedback from Doug has been absolutely you know incredibly valuable um we'll continue to flesh out even more details as we get closer to that date and give you more insight. Um, and with that said, I know we've had a few questions came through um, when you guys were registering. So let's let's tackle some of those now while we have about 15 minutes left. Um, so Doug, I'm sure this one is for you. Hopefully you don't have to leave the building quite yet for that alarm, but um, why don't issuers always check for a refund before issuing a chargeback? Oh, he just, he, he barely, barely got out of asking this question. He just barely messaged me saying security is making him leave now. <laughs> what timing? Um, so we, we will leave that as a pending question to take up and we'll ask MasterCard next time they're able to join us. Um, let's see. Next question. How can we prevent friendly fraud or at least win friendly fraud cases? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk to some of this and then I'll turn over to, to Sandra for the prevention, uh, for the prevention side. So winning some friendly fraud cases, you may notice that most chargebacks today, um, don't, they don't have a reason code or a description for that chargeback that, that really can be, that has a lot of integrity. In other words, you can't rely on it. Most chargebacks look like fraud, they're labeled as fraud, but are they really fraud? Chances are they're not. And in order to identify, in order to win friendly fraud, you first and foremost need to identify friendly fraud from criminal fraud or actual fraud. Now, to identify friendly fraud takes a lot of data and a lot of technology and understanding you know, those relationships. Once you can identify the source of that chargeback, then only you can put together evidence and recover funds. Now, many of you probably know there's rules and guidelines that govern every type of reason code. Now, this is something to pay attention to. You must, you must provide all of the evidence required for each reason code in order to, in order to dispute a chargeback, but if you can tell that this is a friendly fraud case and let's say that it's a let's say it's a fraud chargeback for a reason code related to fraud don't just provide the evidence related to remedy that fraud case make sure that you tell the story of what happened to that case so that you can discourage the bank from filing a second claim uh, so that ultimately you know winning chargebacks isn't just about winning the first cycle but chargebacks can have repeated cycles. You need to make sure that you close every attempt. And with friendly fraud, it can be kind of tricky. You need 
you know, a pretty solid package with all the evidence to to really tell your story. And then the prevention side, this also relates to data. So let me turn that over to Sandra. Thanks, Monica. That's exactly what um, <laughs> I was hoping you're going to do, because it, it's all about preventing that chargeback in the first place. And with the data, you're able to see the the historical analysis of this particular card, let's say, and the propensity for chargebacks. So when you have that that 360 degree loop that we talked about, you can see have they have they had a, a high history of chargebacks. You can see um, if we do score somebody a certain way, um, that data point, the reason codes is important for you to have on the front end as well. So you can see this this was scored a certain way because they've had 52 chargebacks over the last two weeks, right? You're not gonna be able to see that data um, just by yourself unless you have some kind of you know miraculous solution. But if you have that that pre-auth or the prevention features in an adaptive AI environment, you you can prevent the friendly fraud from even happening strictly because of the history behind this card or this entity. And if there is no history with you behind this card or this entity, with the consortium network and the linkages that we provide for this particular entity, we can see that they have a high propensity for chargebacks at other retailers as well. So it, it's all about that, that data that Monica uh, keeps mentioning. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, so, so I think we may have covered this. How are most merchants planning to manage this change and additional stress to the current processes? Um, it seems like, I mean, this is probably brand new information for most merchants. Um, to my knowledge, it's one of the first webinars on the topic uh, designed for merchants to tell merchants what they need. And I think, you know, it's it, there, there's probably a lot of variations out there. Hopefully, um, hopefully we've provided some insight and, and inspired you to think of the smartest strategy for your company. Um, what's the biggest area you're seeing an increase in chargebacks today? And what's the reason for this trend? Um, so, Sandra, I think we would all be interested to hear maybe even some anecdotes. I mean, I loved hearing about, I think you would call it empathy fraud um, on, on the last, but, um, but I know digital, any type of digital goods really get hit by a ton of friendly fraud and lots of chargebacks. Um, have you noticed, have you guys noticed any specific trends that merchants can look out for? Absolutely. So it, it's funny that you use the word trend. So with the advent of social media and the um, the way that the social influencers do their things in the market, there's there's something called bandwagon fraud. And this is where um, social media influencer will will let's say they wanted to buy a bracelet and they get the bracelet and they don't like the bracelet. So first they're telling all the followers, this is the best bracelet ever. Everybody should buy a bracelet. <laughs> and then everybody buys the bracelet. And then the social media person says, well, I don't like this bracelet anymore. And so then everybody is trying to get refunds, do chargebacks of this, this bracelet. Or both. <laughs> or both. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then there's... Um, this one, it, it, it kind of, it, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. So uh, it's basically like climate fraud where somebody, um, they may order a shirt and in the description of the shirt, it's supposed to say 100% cotton. And then when the person gets the shirt, it's 90% cotton and 10% polyester or, or plastic or something. And the person who ordered it, said, this doesn't meet my um, ecological views. So I'm going to, I'm going to charge it back. So there's, there's all kinds of things that are being influenced about what's going on in the world. So no longer is it just the traditional um, chargeback or the traditional, oh, this didn't fit or it was the wrong color. 
um, et cetera. There's so many different- It's a new picketing. It <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> it well, is. We, we, can never, we can never discount the human ingenuity. Yes, for sure. So, uh, so thank you so much for that. And there are like Sandra and I have had so many discussions about it's amazing what geniuses there are out there that create new fraud strategies to keep us all busy. Um, yeah, it, it definitely keeps us busy in trying to stay ahead of that curve. Um, so next question from John. What are some of the downstream consequences of chargebacks for my business? Um, so I think both Sandra and I will contribute on this uh, likewise. So. Uh, you know, with chargebacks, we mentioned this has lots of hidden consequences. So first, you know, if many people don't realize that with friendly fraud, so the, the best way to handle friendly fraud, of course, identify it. Make sure that you investigate every chargeback. And and if you don't have technology, then this is going to be a manual process. But it's definitely worth worth its weight, because once you identify friendly fraud, now you have a choice. You can either cross that customer off your list forever and blacklist them, which many merchants do by accident, or you can rehabilitate them. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by aggressively defending that chargeback. Make sure that you tell the right story. And, and now what you're going to do is you're going to retrain and break that habit that that customer has. Because friendly fraud really can become a very bad habit. Most customers aren't, you know, completely dishonest. They're actually honest. They just may need more education that filing a chargeback isn't going to produce a reward. So make sure that, that you represent that. And if you don't, talk about a consequence for your business. Now, you could just lose a great customer that you could have easily changed and, and stopped a bad habit. Um, you can also damage your reputation. If someone files a chargeback, you should take note that they're dissatisfied with something. They, or maybe that you aren't relevant enough as a merchant. Humanize yourself a little bit. Get people to call you. You're competing with their issuing bank. You need to be nicer, friendlier, faster, you know, digital and, and really build a relationship. Communicate more, not less. Um, if you get chargebacks and you don't do anything about them, they're not just a cost. This is going to damage your reputation. You could have continuous issues going on in your shipping and fulfillment company or quality control or customer service because you didn't identify what caused a chargeback. Chargebacks can be used to tell you valuable insight and help you diagnose problems in virtually every department. And if you don't use it, then just like we said, what you don't know can and will hurt you. The problems are going to continue. It's going to hurt your reputation. And like talk about a, a loss of revenue. Wait until you hear what it does to your fraud filter from, from Sandra. I know we've talked about losses, but from, from your experience, maybe even some of the case studies that, that we've discussed in the past. I mean, the, the impact in auth rates, if, if you don't um, pay attention to this, is, I mean, how, how significant can that be in a business, Sandra? Yeah, it's, it's extremely significant. First of all, um, you can get shut down, right? So your, your, your card schemes can shut you down. Your, your bank can shut you down. So, um, you never want that to happen. You never want to get to that point where you've had so many chargebacks that they just don't, don't trust your business anymore. You well, and then what they do, of course, is change their rules to just block all customers, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, your bank auth rates, the bank needs to trust the transactions that are coming from your business in order to approve them. And when you have a high propensity for chargebacks, it lessens the bank's confidence that you're allowing good transactions to go through. So your bank auth rates will go down. Um, your profitability, you know, that that profit margin that you need so bad um, that goes down as well. And people will spread the word. You know, with, with, with we just talked about social media. People will damage you just from a tweet or a post on Facebook. And, you know, when you look at the cost of acquiring a customer, when you lose that customer, you're not just losing that one customer. 
you're losing the potential for their friends as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, bottom line, get the message. It, it has un, it, unlimited consequences that can reach far and wide. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, Doug was able to rejoin us from the parking lot. Doug, are you still there? I am, my apologies. Yes. Okay. No, no worries. It, it makes things a little bit more interesting. Um, so uh, I, I wanted to, um, we had one question that came in literally one minute after you said that you had to leave. I thought Sorry. it was, it was quite ironic. Um, but the question was, um, why do issuers file chargebacks on previously refunded transactions and why don't they check? Um, do you, any feedback on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think issuers, you know, from my experience in the dispute space, uh, you know, it just varies depending on what type of data management the issuer is using and kind of how effective they are on their operational management side. Uh, I, I think as majority, kind of as a typical majority type application statement, uh, you know, most issuers do a relatively good job of trying to identify those credits before they submit a chargeback. And, and of course, there are rules in place that also try to manage that in our systems on the front end. Uh, we're not always able to do that to a 100% success rate, but we also have it as part of our dispute rules as, as kind of the, the management between issuers and acquirers when it comes to qualification and liability around that. I think where the challenge comes is even though most issuers' intent is good, it's not always easy to match that credit to a particular transaction and then to a dispute in the time that they're actually managing that dispute with the customer. Uh, I, I think from an opportunity as we go along and marrying this data together with collaboration, I think it will get better. I don't think it will ever be 100% solved, though. It would it'd be a yeah. challenge to continue to manage. I, I was going to ask, it seems like um, with collaboration, and we're all very excited, I wish that this was getting instituted next month, but um, with collaboration, this, because it's now mandated for all issuers, um, this should cut down on that dramatically because um, it's it, it will be out of sight, out of mind. They actually just, they have to actually, um, they, they have to do collaboration. And then if merchants respond, well, then, you know you're not going to get a potential charge back. So it sounds like that's really the the best route. Um, and then another thing, while I while I have you, um, Sandra and I have both contributed on you know downstream consequences. I don't want to belabor this too much, but from from Mastercom or from Mastercard, especially the platform that you manage, um, what other types of consequences maybe aren't we covering? Because we don't, you know, merchants aren't understanding what you know, risk decisions their acquirers are making or their issuers. And oftentimes I think the the consensus is, well, merchants suffer all the pain for the industry. And we know that's not true. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how the, the consequence maybe is spread and, and what other what other downstream effect this contributes to? Uh, are you with us, Doug? Yes, I apologize, Monica. Is that for me? My audio cut yes, out a bit. Is that sorry, that is, so the, that the downstream is, consequences of chargebacks? Yes, that is for you. I just want to make sure that we hear some of your viewpoint on this. Um, I know we're one minute over, um, sure. but then we'll we'll wrap up. You bet. Uh, no, and, and I know uh, there was uh, some response given a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, from a MasterCard perspective, and especially when you look at collaboration, ultimately if you don't take advantage of collaboration as an emergent or acquirer, your cost of managing the individual chargeback is going to be significantly higher, right? Um, if you leverage collaboration that's coming in July, you can literally, as an average blended rate, you can literally save anywhere from 15% to 70% on a kind of per cost unit basis on your chargeback processing cost, right? That's one piece, right? The other piece is you're going to continue to have uh, – Poor customer experience, right, is part of consequences of chargebacks. And then, of course, just anything you're facing from an overall operational management cost by not leveraging the collaboration layer sooner than later, you're just going to continue to incur those higher costs, right, as part of your operational management strategies. 
So, so thank you so much. One, one last point to, to drill in, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of consequences, unintended consequences. Um, make sure that you don't ignore chargebacks. Um, with that said, I know we're a couple minutes over. Thank you very much. And everybody have a wonderful day. Doug, thanks for staying on. And I'm glad that you made it back on. Um, and Sandra, thank you likewise. Um, and that wraps up this session. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody.